Good morning. And it has been a good morning already, hasn't it? Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, please, to Second John, the book of Second John. If you're not sure, go to the back. When you find the book of the beginning of Revelation, go just a few pages before that. You'll find Second John. Uh, if you remember, we went through the book of First John a while back and we went all the way through the book of First John. And when we finished, it was Easter, and, and for that reason and others, we didn't go directly into Second and Third John. But I didn't want you to think that we had skipped Second and Third John because they were unimportant. Sometimes I think we can have that idea that, that certain books, maybe because of their length or how often we've heard them, are less important than others. But I don't want us to ever have that idea because all of Scripture is useful and all of Scripture is God-breathed and all of Scripture is important. So this book of Second John, and then after we finish Second John, we'll move right into Third John. And if you've turned there, you probably recognize that these are very short books. These are actually the two shortest books in the New Testament. Uh, Third John slightly shorter than Second John. So we're going to look at these together. But as we're looking here, uh, just to help us remember, I know we've been in Daniel for a while. And so to, to help refresh our memory about the writer of John, these these epistles, these letters. Uh, this is, these are personal letters that were written by the Apostle John. And so this is the same John that wrote the Gospel of John, right? There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That book was written by the same man that wrote First John. He's the same one that wrote these two books of Second and Third John, and who later was given the revelation and wrote the book of Revelation for us as well. He was one of Jesus' disciples that followed Jesus around, who walked with him. He is often referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so this is a letter that this man, John, wrote to a congregation that he knew personally and well. And there are some things that he, uh, that he commends them on and some things that he directs them on as well. And so we're going to see those things over the next couple of weeks. So if you would, look with me at the text itself. Second John, beginning in verse 1, there are no chapters, just verse 1. says, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. So here we see the introduction to the letter. Uh, it's a very standard introduction as far as letters in this day and time, how they're written. This follows uh, that pattern very well. He, he begins by recognizing who he is, who is the writer of this letter, who is sending this letter. He refers to himself as the elder. And then he recognizes who he's writing to, and he refers to them as the elect lady and her children. And then he introduces some of the main themes of the letter. We see truth and we see love, which are going to come out in the body of this text in, in just a few months. But just a couple of things about these two terms that he uses to describe himself and the church that he's writing to, because they're different than we, we normally hear. He doesn't say the Apostle John. He says... The elder. Why does he refer to himself as the elder? And Wednesday night we spent the entire time looking at this idea, this, this biblical idea, New Testament idea of what an elder is. So I'm not going to spend 
very much time here. But this would have been a term for them that would have been very synonymous with our word of pastor. And so it's as if he's addressing them. He's, he's saying, who's writing this letter? The pastor. A pastor, your pastor, or one of the pastors that has overseen you is writing this letter. Now, I've told a couple of you this before, uh, but when I meet someone for the first time ever, one thing that I usually do is I do not tell them that I'm a pastor. Uh, one, it's just not practical, right? Whenever you meet somebody, you say, hey, I'm so-and-so, and this is my job. No, it's not what we're doing. So I don't say, hey, I'm Zach, I'm a pastor. But more than practical, it, it, it really helps the flow of conversation because here's how it works. I meet one of your friends or someone in the supermarket, and I say, hey, man, I'm Zach. And they say, hey, how are you? And they just, they're relaxed and comfortable, and they just talk. And then they say, what do you do for a living? And I say, oh, I'm not going to tell the story. You know, I'm not trying to hide the truth. So I say, oh, I'm a pastor. And then all of a sudden, they're not relaxed, and they're not comfortable. And they stop talking. Or they apologize for some of the things that they've already said in the conversation. And so, so when you introduce yourself as the pastor, it hits a little bit differently than when you introduce yourself as Zach or John. And John here understands that, and I believe that he's using it, but he's using it in the opposite. He's not meeting a stranger, he's addressing a congregation that he knows. And so he's reminding them who he is. He says, I am one that has been that has been directed by God to help oversee you, to teach you the Word, to watch the doctrine that you were taught, to care for your souls, to give account to God of your spiritual growth. He wants them to think of Him in this way. And so he addressed himself as the elder. He calls the congregation the elect lady and her children. Now, that's very much different than how we normally refer to churches. right? If I'm talking about new sight... I don't usually say, well, the elect lady and her children over on New Sight Road. We don't talk that way, do we? So why does John talk that way? Well, again, I think that in a very formal letter form, this, this carries some elegance and some beauty that, that we may not recognize on the surface. But when we look at the words here, just the words themselves, the, the word for elect that's used here, I don't have to explain to you what election means. We all understand, right, it's coming up in November... You can't watch a TV show without seeing commercials about the election. You can't watch the news without hearing about the election. What does, what does it mean to elect someone, right? It, it means that you choose or select someone that you prefer. That's what we have. The idea of election, the very idea itself means literally to choose or select out of a preference. That's what the word he uses here. And so it's this reminder to the church that God has chosen, that God has selected, that God desires us, that God wants us. And now, I'm, I'm not ignorant. I know that that, that word elect and election uh, sounds differently to some of us, that some interpret that differently than some others, that some are scared of that word. But let's be honest about at least what it has to mean. Right? We could have, there have been discussions that have gone for thousands of years about what election in the, in the scriptures mean. But it has to mean at least this much, that God desires us and has chosen to make us His. 
Right? I mean, that's, that's what election, that's what the word means. And so I don't want us to, I don't want your mind this morning to, to get caught in this trap of the, the debates or discussions that you've heard about election. What I want, I don't want your mind to be trapped this morning. What I want is your heart to rejoice. Because what, what John is saying is, God chose you. God wants you. You are special to God. That's what he's saying to this church. Right? God didn't have to send his son to die, to offer salvation. God chose to do that. God didn't have to pick Israel in the Old Testament. God decided. God wanted. God chose Israel. In the New Testament, God didn't have to offer salvation to all people. He didn't have to offer that we would have the opportunity to be his but he sent his son. He chose to do these things. And even the word lady, which to us we just think of a female, but, but the word lady is actually the, the feminine form of the word, the masculine word, Lord. Right. So when we hear Lord in, in the Bible, that usually grabs our attention. Well, lady is just the feminine word of the feminine form of that same word. And some of you have heard that in right, proper English, the, the Lord and the lady. Uh, and that's what it is here. If it were to say there is a Lord, somebody is a Lord, well, lady is just speaking the same way about a female. So this is a beautiful and elegant address for the church. The chosen lady, the elect lady. Point one is just that. God has chosen the church at a great price, right? The price of the blood of his very own son. God has you want to use John's wording, God has elected the church at a great price. And so then we get into these ideas of truth and love, and that's really, I believe, the main thrust of what he's talking about in the beginning of the body of this text. So look with me in verse 4. So he starts to spell that out for us. He says, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. Now again, as he says, some of your children, we just understand that, the elect lady being the church, the children being the members of it. So he's saying here, I, I rejoice greatly to find that some of the people in the church are walking in the truth. And this idea of truth really is resonating through, through the beginning part of this letter because in a letter that doesn't have a whole lot of words in it, in the first four verses, John uses the word truth five times. Five times and four verses. That should really stand out to us. We should recognize that truth is something that's really on his mind and that he's really trying to bring to the forefront here. And, and here's the thing, here are the things that he tells us about the truth. In verse 1, he says, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. So the first thing about truth is truth is something that we know. We all understand that, right? You can know what the truth is. You can know what's true and you can know what's not true. So truth is something we know. But, but then he continues in verse 2 and says, Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. So the truth is something that we know and the truth is something that lives in us. Now that sounds a little bit different, right? We're, we're used to knowing the truth, but having the truth live inside of you sounds a little bit different. And then here in verse 4, he's really developing it as well. It's not only something that we know, and it's not only something that lives inside of us, but it's also something that we walk in. He said, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. So the truth is something you know, the truth is something that lives inside of you, and the truth is something that you do. 
Not just something you know, something that you do. What, what would be a good definition of truth? What I think John has in mind as we look at the things that John has written throughout the Bible about truth. And if you look back in, in the Gospel of John, and you don't have to turn there, but I'll give you two verses that you can write down. One is in John seventeen seventeen. This is Jesus. He's praying. We call this the high priestly prayer. And in this prayer, while he's praying, Jesus speaking to God, asking things for the believers, John 17, 17, he says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So it's pretty clear. God's word is truth. And in John 14, 6, a verse that many of us are familiar with, Jesus is speaking, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what do I understand truth to be here in John's writing? I understand the truth to be what God has revealed to us. What God has revealed to us in His Word, and what God has revealed to us in His Son. God has revealed the truth to us. And so this this really starts to make good sense, because now that I know that the truth is God's Word, and the truth is is Jesus' life. Now what I see is, how can I know the truth? Well, I can know God's Word. I can know the things that Jesus did in His life, right? We can know that. God's Word can live inside of me, right? We can, God says He'll write His law on our heart. We can have God's Word in us. We can have Christ through the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And the, the Word is also something that I can do. I can do, I can walk in the truth. I can walk in the commands of God's Word. I can do the things that the Bible tells me to do. I can follow the example of Jesus' life. I can do that. So literally, I can know the truth, I can have the truth inside of me, and I can walk in the truth. But don't miss that he's saying that we should do all of these. Because sometimes... Some of us are good at knowing the truth, but not always good at doing the truth. Right? We can know what God's Word says. We can know the example of Jesus' life. We can talk about it. We can tell other people how and why they should do it, but we're not necessarily good ourselves at actually doing those things. And I heard a good quote this week. Um, I read it, Danny Aiken, in a commentary about Second John. Um, quotes the, the pastor Bruce Vance Havner, uh, Vance Havner and says, What we live is what we believe. What we live is what we believe. Everything else is just religious talk. I like that. Point two, truth comes from God, and we should know it and choose to walk in it. Truth comes from God, right? He reveals the truth. What God has revealed, we should know, and we should choose to walk in. We should follow God's Word, we should follow the example of Jesus' life. Then he begins to talk about love. In verse 5, he says, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. So I think really what we see here, verse 4 and 6 are going to be part of this main teaching. I think verse 5 is almost parenthetical. He, he's, he's saying we should follow the commands of God's Word. And then he highlights one specific command. And this is one that means a lot to John because he highlighted it three times in 1 John and we talked about it at length in 1 John. So I'm not going to spend as much time on it this morning. But the command is clear. 
And the command is that all Christians should love each other. All Christians should love all other Christians. Not just folks that go to Mount Zion, but all other Christians you should love them. Not just Christians that, that live in Mississippi, or just, not just Christians that speak English, or not just Christians that look like us. We, as God's children, should love all of God's children. He makes that clear. We went over that at length in 1 John. But he also tells him here that this isn't some new command. This isn't John's idea that he's brought up. No, he says that actually they've had it from the beginning, which is true. As long as there has been a New Testament church, there has been the command for all Christians to love all other Christians. Because in John 13, 34 and 35, on the night when Jesus was arrested, right, he was betrayed and arrested in the garden, he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And goes on to tell them that this is how the world will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so it's not new. Jesus gave it himself. And so this is something that they have known for a long time. It's something that John highlights. We as Christians, one of the truths of God's word that has been revealed to us that he may have been highlighting because these people were specifically struggling with this, and he may be highlighted to us this morning because some of us may struggle with this, but it's the truth that as Christians we should love all other Christians. And that's point three. Christians should choose to love all other Christians. It's part of God's word. It's part of his commandments, and we should follow all of his commandments. So John's thinking is sound here. And then verse six, our last verse for today, he says, And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is a commandment just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. So here I believe what John does is he closes this idea of, he tells us that we should know God's commands, we should know God's truth, and we should walk in God's truth. He made that clear. And then he gives us one specific example of it, and then I believe in verse 6 what he does is he comes back and he says, let me tell you why you should follow God's commands, why you should walk in His truth. Because all of us can hear a pastor say, you should walk in the truth. You should do what God's Word says. But John says, let me tell you not just what you should do, but let me tell you why you should do it. You say, why? Why should I follow God's commands? In verse 6, he just puts it very clearly and plainly. This is love that we walk according to His commands. So what is love? It's a question that people have sought to define throughout all of history. There are songs and poems written about love and what love is. And there are men on uh, February 13th that scramble to understand how they can display love. And John says, let me tell you how you can show God that you love Him. By keeping His commandments. Walking according to His commands. And this idea of love carries with it the idea of choosing or preferring something. He's saying if you choose God's commands, if you prefer to do what He says rather than what you would want, you're showing God that you love. Point four. Christians show their love to God by choosing to follow His commands. When you choose to follow God's commands, you're showing God that you love Him. So there's the reason why. Why is it important that I follow His commands? Why should I do what God says rather than what I say? 
because that's how we can show God that we love Him. It's how you can show your love, display it actively to Him. And now sometimes this is easy. Right there, some commands in the Bible that man just, for me, I can do that one. Those of you that have a, a good mom and a good dad, right, you love your parents. Um, they give good advice. That whole idea of honoring your mother and father, got that one. That's good. Um, especially as you get older, right? Sometimes harder when you're a teenager or young. But as you get older, it becomes very easy for some of us to honor our father and mother. whole idea of, of thou shalt not murder, I'm pretty good with that. And, and actually, not only are we good at that, some of us are really glad that one's in there, right? I'm glad to see that one. Like, really like some of these commands. But then, you know, there are, there are the other times when it's not as easy to follow God's commands, when there's really this conflict between what I want to do and what God's Word tells me that I should do. And then we're really getting to the nitty-gritty of choosing or preferring His way over our way. Right? Some of you have dealt with addiction in your life, and, and so, man, you've had a long day, and it's been stressful, and, and things have been hard, and, and you get to the house, and, and there's a pill that you could take, and it'd just take the edge off. Man, you'd feel so much better. Some of you could drink, and all of a sudden, just all the worries from day would go away. And that's what you want to do. Your mind says, I want that. And now, all of a sudden, you have to choose. Do you prefer his way or your way? Are you going to show God that you love him by refraining from doing that? Or are you going to give in and do what you want to do? Some of you have struggled with other addictions, and maybe you get home and you're lonely, and you're by yourself, and there's this website that you want to go to and look at, and you know that you shouldn't, and you know this is not good, and you know that God's Word tells you not to do this, but this is really what you want to do, and you have to choose. Am I going to prefer His way, or am I going to do my way? Some of you really struggle with saying uh, mean things about, ugly, about other people, ugly things about other people, uh, and, and you're at work, and man, there's this one co-worker, and y'all just, y'all don't click, y'all don't, y'all don't G-haw, y'all don't talk the same way, y'all don't like the same things, and you walk in the break room, and everybody's talking about that guy, and man, you, your heart says, I just, I want to jump into it. I've got something mean to say about this guy. Let me just go ahead. But God's Word says that, that that's not showing love, that that's not how we should act and now all of a sudden we've got to choose. And, and the, the truth is, in these moments, we have the opportunity to show God that I'm not just doing what your word says when it's easy. I am choosing your way over my way. And the question becomes, are you going to? And I will close with this thought. This is why I believe that we need the gospel. This is why I need the gospel. Because here's the truth. Brothers and sisters, we think that the, the gospel is only important for the, the ones in the children's department or for new members. They hear the gospel, they understand the gospel, but then we need to move past that. But the truth is, we never outgrow the gospel. And the truth is, whenever I'm in a, in a moment of temptation and I want to do this thing that I know is wrong... It is good for me to be reminded that, that when God didn't have to choose me, nobody made God send His Son to earth to die an excruciating, terrible death on a cross. 
Nobody made God do that. God chose to do that. God wanted to do that so that I could be saved. And now all of a sudden when I remember that, I don't want to choose this thing either. I want to choose God's way. Whenever I'm reminded of the depth of God's love for me, that while I was a sinner and while I was rebellious and while I was doing terrible things, that He loved me enough that He still wanted me to be His and made away at such a great price to send His Son that I could be His, now all of a sudden this pill or this drink or this website or this mean thing doesn't look so tempting anymore. I recognize what God has given to me. I recognize how good God is, and now I want to follow Him. I want to show Him my love. I want to follow His commands. I want to walk in His truth. When I remember that Christ not only died, but came back from the dead and overcame death, and that I can have that same victory through faith in Him, now all of a sudden I don't want these things of the world. I want to follow Christ. When I remember that He's coming back one day to judge everyone, I want to follow Him. I want to please Him. I want to choose His way. So brothers and sisters, I need the gospel every day. I need to remind myself of how good God has been to me when He didn't have to be that good to me. When I didn't deserve it and when nobody made Him do it, that He chose to do those things for me. And it makes me want to choose to follow Him. It makes me want to walk in the truth. And not only know it, but to walk in it. And I pray it does for you as well. The Lord has been so good to us. So as we think about His goodness, let's just end today by praying and telling Him thank you for His goodness and for His grace and His mercy and for His forgiveness and asking Him for the strength to continually to choose His way over our way. Now, boy, pray with me. Father God, You have been so good and we are so undeserving of that. Father, You have uh, sent Your Son that we could be forgiven through faith in Him, Father, that every person that responds in faith has been forgiven of their sins. Lord, every person that will respond in faith will be forgiven of their sins. Their punishment taken by Jesus, not just vanished into thin air, but, Father, paid for by Him. What a terrible thing that He had to go through on our behalf. But Lord, that he chose to follow your will and that you chose to send him because of your great love for us. Father, you have displayed your love to us and it is great and it is big and it is beautiful. And I pray, Father, that we would also display love to you, Father. That we would follow the gospel in this way. That we would not do the right thing. That we would not follow the word of God. That we would not walk in your truth because we think if we do that you will accept us. Father, that we would choose to do it in response to what you have already done for us, that you have already accepted us through faith in Jesus. And so, Lord, we would choose your way to show you that we love you, to show you that you are worthy. You know that you're worthy, but, Father, that we would proclaim it with our actions by studying your word to understand it better and then applying it in our life. Lord, thank you for this, but even this we could not do without your help. Lord, we could not understand your word without your help. We could not say no to sin without your help. So, Father, give us the strength to continually choose, to choose your way over our way, to continually understand your word better and better so that we could apply it in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.